This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ولقد أنزلنا إليك آيات بينات وما يكفر بها إلا الفاسقون أو كلما عاهدوا عهدا نبذه فريق منهم بل أكثرهم لا يؤمنون رب الشحل صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي فالحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ثم ما بعد once again everybody السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته as we move on with the ayat Allah عز وجل turns to his messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم and says something beautiful he says we certainly already have sent down particularly to you إليك is مقدم here over ayat بينات particularly to you we have sent down clear miraculous signs in other words particularly to you why because they have a problem with the fact that you're the recipient of this revelation, it's not going to change anything. There's nothing wrong with you or the revelation, and you're the one rightly chosen, and it's not Jibreel getting the wrong address, we're the ones who sent it to you. وَلَقَدْ أَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ آيَاتٍ بَيِّنَاتٍ And the revelation itself is completely, completely and absolutely clear, self-evident. So when they compare it to their book, there's no doubts left that this is exactly what, uh, you know, what was supposed to have been sent to confirm the, the revelation that they have before them. It is exactly what they needed to hear. You know, it's not like they can't figure out how this could be a match. It's all very, very clear. This had to be said because the Prophet ﷺ sees people that are very knowledgeable in scripture, very knowledgeable in religion, that have been studying the religion for centuries, and they so easily reject the Qur'an. Right, so he starts thinking, maybe I'm not doing enough, maybe I'm not clear enough. Is there something wrong with what I'm doing? And Allah Azza wa Jalla says, nothing wrong with you, nor anything wrong with the message. If there's anything wrong, it's wrong with them. And so he goes on to say, وَمَا يَكْفُرُوا بِهَا إِلَّا الْفَاسِقُونَ This is actually the second time this phrasing is being used. The phrase means nobody disbelieves in it except corrupt people to begin with. The inherently corrupt to begin with. This was said earlier on in the surah, وَمَا يُضِلُّ بِهِ إِلَّا الْفَاسِقِينَ Allah doesn't misguide with revelation except those that are inherently corrupt. And now Allah is saying, nobody denies revelation except those that are inherently corrupt. Something about the word fisk is important to understand because fisk and fasad are kind of sometimes considered interchangeable. They're really not. The word fasaqa in Arabic is uh, when, when a fruit goes bad and from its qishr, from the, from the peel of the fruit, it starts oozing out. Like imagine a banana goes so bad that it starts coming out of the peel without you even peeling it. That banana is basically, it's experienced fusuq. It's gone so bad that the, 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 the rottenness of it has been exposed. Fasiq is actually somebody whose rottenness, whose evil, whose corruption has been exposed. It's come out. You know, it's no longer hidden. And by use of the word fasiqun, Allah as I was actually describing, not only are they inherently corrupt on the inside, now their corruption has become clear and obvious for everybody to see. Allah has exposed them, like, you know, like daylight. So, وَمَا يَكْفُرُوا بِهَا إِلَّا الْفَاسِقُونَ None except the fasiqun will reject it. In this, there's also an axiom that I think Muslims should take heed of in, in this beautiful ayah, that we should not think that everybody will disbelieve in the Qur'an. Like Allah says, there's a select group of very corrupt people that will inherently reject the Qur'an. Which actually means 
that the vast majority of humanity have hopes of accepting the Book of Allah. It's just that it hasn't been presented to them properly. You have entire societies in the, Muslim, in, in the world that haven't been properly introduced to the Qur'an. I would argue just even on behalf of what we're doing here, right? Um, I, this is an attempt to go through the Qur'an in hopefully easy to understand English, right? And I'm not saying that this explanation is perfect or that it's like the best thing ever or whatever. It's just an attempt to try to expose the message of the Qur'an in this language, right? This kind of an effort, has it already been done in Chinese, in, in Mandarin? Has it already been done in Japanese? Has it already been done in, in, in Tamil? Has it already been done in, the, you know, in Senegalese? In a language that if a Jew heard it, a Christian heard it, an atheist heard it, anybody heard it, they'd get it? Are we expecting the entire world to read the Qur'an? Instead of hearing the Qur'an? Is that what we're expecting? Or what do we expect them to read? Uh, like, let's make YouTube videos with you know, recitation of the Qur'an and subtitles, so the world can read subtitles. People want to hear from people. مَا يَخْرُجُ مِنَ الْقَلْبِ يَصِلُ What comes out of the heart, reaches the heart. If instead of giving you this dars, if I wrote everything I'm going to say down and email it to you, does it have the same effect? You can read it beginning to end. The Qur'an, when it, it had a particular effect. You know they say in media studies, the medium is the message. You know what that means? The way in which you communicate something is as important as the message itself. So if you communicate in writing, it's not the same as communicating in speech. And if you're talking over the phone, it's not the same as talking in person. And if you're watching something on a video as opposed to sitting somewhere live, these are all different experiences. And each one of these is a different medium. And each of those mediums or media have a direct impact on how a message is processed. So if you were sitting at home listening to this, if you were watching this in your car, sitting in your car just on your phone just listening to this, right? Or if you're in a classroom listening to this, or you have headphones on or whatever, or you're driving and listening to it, each one of those are actually a different experience. And the amount you're able to internalize, think about, process is different because there's other options there's also alt tab there's also pause button there's also somebody calling you for dinner or something else but when you're sitting and you're isolated it's a different experience isn't it so just because you know alhamdulillah the the effort here is to get this stuff recorded right and the hope is that people around the world can benefit from these recordings but you know that's not nearly enough they're going to have to be people who benefit from this stuff decide to learn this stuff then decide to share this stuff with their family over dinner, or hang out with their friends and share some of this stuff and talk about this stuff. Because the way you can communicate with certain people, I will never be able to communicate. They belong in your life, in your circle, and I have no access to them. No matter how hard you try to drag them to, <laughs> to ruin their life by bringing them to one of my lectures, it's not going to happen. The only ambassador to Islam for them is not me, it's actually you. And so... This, and we have to carry this out with the belief that only the worst of people are going to reject it. We have to be optimistic that when people hear this, they're going to accept it. They're going to at least think about it. At least it'll sit in their head. It's okay if it sits in your head. Umar bin al-Khattab, it sat in his head for five years before he accepted Islam. It's okay. It's alright, man. Well, I gave him da'wah, he didn't even convert. Uh, yeah, let him process it. Maybe he'll come to Islam in five years. One of my dear friends, John, uh, John Goodell, I can't believe I named him, I hope he doesn't watch this. He studied, he studied comparative religion in college, right, in, in Arkansas. 
and he's just studying all these religions, he's taking his notes, and he used to make his personal comments on the side. And on his notes on Islam, he wrote, he wrote, wrote this himself. He said, this Tawheed thing is pretty cool. That's all he wrote. It's like eight years later, he went back to his notes and accepted Islam. Like, <laughs> it's, it's okay. If we can even plant seeds, you know, The example of a good word is like a good tree. A tree doesn't come out of nowhere. A tree comes from a seed. And a seed takes a long time to grow. Words take a long time to internalize inside the soul of a person. Just them being, like somebody says, I, get, I brought her to the convention, she heard like three speeches, and she still doesn't wear hijab. <laughs> you know? What is wrong with you? Let the word sit inside. Let it take its course. There's, there's some soil that grows plants very quickly. There's other soil, it takes its sweet time. Some seeds grow very quickly. Some seeds take a very long time. That's the, that's the analogy Allah gives of human transformation. Is the transformation of plants on the earth. So take it's a, no need to need no need to rush. So I'll move back to the subject at hand. Allah is now turning his shock and wonder against these people, and he's making a comment about their history again. He says, Really, has it been the case that every single time they made a promise? And the word ahad is very important to the Jewish consciousness. Al-Ahdul Qadim is one of the words for the Hebrew Bible in Arabic. Every time they made a promise, meaning a divine covenant, a contract, every time a prophet came, every time a promise was fulfilled from Allah, every time Allah gave them victory, Allah, every time Allah rescued them, not just once, but multiple times, like in the desert, like from the Pharaoh, like from the Assyrians, like from the Babylonians, like so many times in history, Allah rescued them over and over again, and He fulfilled His promise of giving them messenger after messenger after messenger, prophet after prophet after prophet, revelation after revelation. نَبَذَهُ فَرِيقٌ مِّنْهُمْ A group among them, a faction among them, threw it away. نَبَذَ in Arabic, تَرْحُكَ شَيْئًا مِنْ يَدِكَ أَمَامَكْ أَوْ When you drop something behind you, something's in your hands, you just drop it like a candy wrapper. Or like a banana peel, you just drop it. That's why they say, "An-Nabidu ma nubitha min asir." Nabid is what you throw away after you're done juicing. Like you, you, you squeezed an orange or whatever, you put it in the blender, and that other stuff, the the pulp and everything else, you just kind of throw away the fibers and stuff. That's nabid. Allah says, "Every time I made a promise among the, you know, fulfilled my promise to them, nabadahu, my promise was thrown away like it's trash." Nabadahu fariqum minhum. A group among them did this. The question is, why didn't Allah say all of them did this? Most of them did this? He says a group among them did this. A faction among them did this. This is to highlight a very important consideration here. Why is it only a group? Because a, a group, the group that has the most access to the book of Allah and the promise of Allah, they're custodians of the message. They're the ambassadors that are supposed to deliver it to everybody else. When they chuck it aside for their political gains, for their social gains, when religion becomes a business to them, or a popularity contest to them, and they throw Allah's promise on their backs, this is, what, this is a group among them. People in any religion, the religious teachers, the imams, the scholars, the, the, the fuqaha, the alimat, the, the, the religious teachers, they are actually in a sense ambassadors of that religion to their communities. They are the vessel by which Allah's word is given to the rest of the believing community. When they themselves become corrupt, when they throw it behind the backs, their backs, what's going to happen to the rest of the community? 
where, where are they going to get their iman from? Where are they going to get their faith from? If, if our masajid are filled with imams that are dedicated to holding on to their job and making sure the other guy doesn't get the job and whoever disagrees with them, is the next khutbah is against them. If that's all that's left of the religion, then what iman will the people have left that come to Allah's house? What faith will you transfer over to the next generation? What faith? You know? You have, I, I was speaking to a fellow in Japan, a senior fellow who lives in some part of Japan, and he has um, been there for a long time. And he says, our masjid situation is very bad. There are people that just, the masjid is just a business, they, they get you know, funding from abroad or whatever, and they have control, and they give uh, khutbah in their own languages, and they look at people who come from other ethnicities or other schools of thought funny, so we're not even welcome to go to the masjid. It's a very bad situation. I was like, I wish that was only a local problem. That is not a local problem. This promise of Allah that they carry, that they're going to be representatives of Allah's word and Allah's teachings to the rest of humanity. Israelites were supposed to be the model nation for the rest of humanity to see what the word of Allah looks like. They were supposed to be that nation. They were chosen for that purpose. They didn't fulfill that purpose. They threw it behind their backs. And so, some active people, they cast this promise aside. And you know what that does? بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Instead, the majority of them don't believe. See, the, we went from an ayah from the group to the majority. When the group gets messed up, the majority doesn't have any iman anyway. You see, people that don't know a lot of religion, people, it's not your fault. You didn't study Arabic, you didn't study Islam, you didn't come up from a religious family, that's not your fault. But when you don't come from a religious background, and you don't know much about the faith, then the only hope you have of securing your faith or holding on to its teachings tight is basically the mimbar, the Friday prayer. Some connection with Allah's house. Somebody will give you a good message. You'll find some good company there. Somebody will encourage you to maybe get away from some bad habits, etc. Because you don't know any better. You'll find better company here, etc., etc. Right? When that place that's supposed to save you from corruption is now in the hands of those who've thrown Allah's promise back, then the people that are left behind, their iman, they, they were looking for an easy way out anyway, they were weak to begin with, and now they just drift away. They just drift away. And they want nothing to do with it. This was a problem of the Israelites. Does it seem like it's a relevant problem for us to understand? Subhanallah. Something we live through today. بَلْ أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Most of them have stopped even believing. One of the ways to look at that, most of them have stopped even believing. How many people have I met that come from, like they have names like Muhammad, Abdullah, Abdul Samad, Fatima, Aisha. Ah, yeah, I don't really, I'm not really into religion. Yeah, the whole prayer stuff, yeah, I'm not really into it. I mean, it's cool, my mom makes me do it when I go home. That's why I don't go home much. And I don't blame them. Honestly, as sad as that is, I don't blame them. They, they didn't, they, they are a, the product of a very mismanaged custodianship of the religion that didn't care for those people that didn't teach them what it was supposed to teach them instill a confidence in them why are you Muslims? why should you hold on to this religion? you know the kinds of emails I get? who needs religion anyway? brother I'm a Muslim but I had a question I hope you don't mind who needs religion anyway? thank you that's it that's the question and my answer is not astaghfirullah al-azim you kafir no, no, you munafiq, you food for hell. Like, 
how dare you email me and you know contaminate my pure email inbox? <laughs> Talk to these people. So why don't you need religion? I feel like I need it. I'll tell you why I need it. Maybe that'll help you understand why you might need it. But you have to figure that out for yourself. Somebody else asks, why can't we ask any questions in our religion? Why do you need religion if we have free thought? People can figure things out for themselves. Are these things that the Qur'an answers? Yeah. You know what that means? We haven't been teaching the Qur'an. That's all that means. A generation of Muslims wouldn't have had these questions. But أَكْثَرُهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Then, yeah, instead, most of them don't even, most of them don't even have iman. وَلَمَّا جَاءَهُمْ رَسُولٌ مِّنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقٌ لِمَا مَعَهُمْ And finally, when a messenger came from Allah Himself, confirming what they have, now this messenger's quality is he's musaddiq. So beautiful. Remember musaddiqan was active? And now musaddiqun is a sifa, which means it's dormant. It's inside the Prophet ﷺ. Even hearing about the Prophet ﷺ, it'll be confirming. That quality is a constant in him. That he confirms what they have with them. The qualities and descriptions of the Prophet ﷺ that they have with them, he meets all of them. Allah says about them, when finally this messenger came, meaning Muhammad ﷺ, نَبَثَ فَرِيقٌ مِّنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ A group among them chucked away from those who were, uh, no, uh, 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 a group from those who were given the book from before. Chucked away the book. They threw away the book. كِتَابَ اللَّهِ Allah's book. وَرَاءَ ظُهُرِهِمْ Far behind their backs. Like they didn't just throw it, they cast it off. Now which, this, this phrasing is a little bit difficult because Allah says, a group, those who were given the book, from among those who were given the book, threw away the book of Allah. So what book of Allah did they throw away? There are two interpretations here. One interpretation is they even threw Torah away. Torah was telling them, accept Quran, accept Muhammad And they decided to throw those parts of Torah away. And not even look at it. The other interpretation is they threw Quran away. Quran was in their face. And they'd rather just throw it away. وَرَأَظُهُورِهِمْ Behind their backs. كَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ As though they don't even know. As though they have no idea. Like pretending that they have no clue that this promise has been fulfilled. That revelation is there. This sense of behind it, you know, نَبَذَ To throw behind your back anyway. To add وَرَأَظُهُورِهِمْ is an added anger of Allah Azza wa Jal. And in this, now we're actually about to enter into a new conversation in this, uh, in this surah which is furthering a previous conversation. The previous conversation was, they claimed that they believe, Allah said, you can call it iman all you want, that's not iman, that's kufr. That was a previous conversation. A new conversation will be, they have knowledge, but there's knowledge, and then there's real knowledge. And there's actually, you think you know, and superficially you know, but you know in a way that actually penetrates into your heart. So you can use knowledge for both of them, but there's a difference between them. You know how I can say it to you in bad English. Someone who knows and someone who knows. That's, there's a difference between knowledge and knowledge. And that's going to be described now. كَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ As they don't even know. But here I'd like to highlight another concept that is of the rights of the Qur'an that we need to take heed of from within this, uh, this ayah. The idea of throwing the book behind one's back. Especially a group who knew. A group who knew. Our religion is actually um, 
like any other religion, by the way, its sociology is, diff- is, is, is common to other religions. In other words, when a religion is along, it's ancient, like Islam, like Judaism, then a group, those who learn and teach their religion and are considered sacred people because they learn and teach their religion, they develop a certain status in society. Okay? And they become kind of a society of their own. The society of scholars and preachers and ministers and you know, priests, etc., etc. They're their own kind of society. And within that society, unfortunately, what happens over and over again is they break up into groups. So there's this group of scholars, and there's that group of scholars, and that group of scholars. These ones subscribe to this school of thought, that one that school of thought, that one that school of thought. And oftentimes what happens, this is not even just Islam, this happens in Judaism, it happens in Christianity, it happens in Islam, you know, other faith traditions. Each one of these groups takes a particular scholar or two from among the history of scholars and says, we look at the entire religion in light of these scholars. They define for us what Islam should look like. And the others take some other heroic scholarly figures. And the others take some other heroic Islamic figures or scholarly figures. Okay. What's, what's ironic is that these people that they attribute themselves to, I don't have to mention any names, but those people that they attribute themselves to and say we follow them, those people are completely open-minded. So the people that they claim to follow strictly themselves are totally open-minded and they're completely cool with all the other scholars from all the other groups. But their followers become so hard-lined and debate and argue, even the scholarly students of them. I'm not talking about the ignorant people. Imagine this, you have the, like the high senior 100-year-old scholar and he's got students and those students have students, right? They're all students. The one at the top most understanding, most wise, most you know, appreciative, soft-spoken, etc. As you trickle down, you get more and more hard-lined. You get people who, this is it! How are you not following our school? If you don't follow our school, it's not even Islam. You're going to follow those people? They're like kafir. That's what happens. And when, when this happens, the only thing they study is how to convince someone to stay in our gang. So my Islamic studies are not about serving Allah or His Messenger's cause or the Book of Allah. Now my Islamic studies are, how can I make sure you agree with my version? And how can I make sure I completely deconstruct their version? Jews did this, Christians did this, Muslims would never do this. Oops. It happened or no? Now, what's, what's crazy? What's crazy is the Book of Allah wants something. And we want something else. The religious want something else. The religious want to defend their school, their version, their text, their secondary texts. And when someone says, wait, we don't have to have these divisions. We can all emphasize the Book of Allah. We can come back to Allah's book and we will realize that the things that we're fighting about are not that big of a deal. Because Allah didn't make them that big of a deal. It's okay. We can chill out. What do they do with Allah's book? Without even doing it physically. نَبَذَ فَرِيقُ مِنَ الَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ كَأَنَّهُمْ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ I have been in gatherings of knowledgeable people where I'll say the ayah says this. 
Yeah, I know it says that, but Shaykh said this, 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 this. Yeah, but the ayah says this. Yeah, I know, but the fatwa is da 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 Yeah, okay, alright. Then I say, and this scholar said this. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And hold on a second. When I quoted a scholar you like, you were sami'na wa ata'na. When I cited the word of Allah, you said, eh, well... Is that not checking the book of Allah behind your back? You could say, well, we don't really understand the ayah. Okay, let's talk about the ayah then. But I'm not even talking about ignorant people here. I'm talking about people who study religion, who have that attitude towards Qur'an. How is this any different from the people who came before us, who did this with Torah? كَأَنَّهُمْ لَا As though they don't even know. Their loyalties became to their school, to their seniors, to their peers, to their clergy, and their loyalties no longer to the word of Allah. So even in private gatherings, when they hear something about the word of Allah, and they say, you know privately, I must say, I agree with you. I know publicly I call you a deviant and stuff, um, but I, I actually agree with you. I'm like, so why don't you say anything? Because I know they'll kick me out of my school. And they're, they're going to think I've, I've lost myself. I lost the path to. I actually use a lot of your stuff in my khutbas, but I don't tell anyone it's yours because they'll, they'll get really upset. It's like, that's okay, keep going. It's all good. You can quote it, no problem. There's no copyright in deen. It's crazy to keep up with the clergy. And this, by the way, who pays the price for it? The price is not paid by the knowledgeable, the price is paid by the public. Who just lo- ends up losing their iman? They have nothing left. So you have وَإِنَّ الَّذِينَ أُورِثُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ بَعْدِهِمْ لَفِي شَكٍ مِنْهُمْ مُرِيبٍ Those who inherited the book after them are just in doubt. They're just not even sure about Islam itself anymore. And it, it, they're in a kind of doubt that's infectious, murib. It's mutaaddi. It just it puts other people in doubt. You know, as I I, I have uh, salat time is what time? By the way, six. Okay, I'm going to take ten more minutes. Introduce the next ayah because it's, whew, it's way too much stuff. And we're going to take the entire hour, next hour, on just this ayah, inshallah, which is the ayah about magic. The only ayah really comprehensively dealing with the subject of magic in the Qur'an. The introduction to it itself takes a little while, so I'm going to do that first with you guys. And then, inshallah, we'll have time to get into the discussion itself, and hopefully I won't divert from the topic at all. First of all, um, to understand this subject, some introductory comments. Uh, this subject, you must understand Islam's view of magic... Uh, by understanding Islam's view of angels and jinn. Okay? And you have to understand that in contrast with the Jewish and Christian beliefs about <coughs> angels and jinn, which is very different. Okay? In the Islamic concept, angels are لا يعصون الله ما أمرهم ويفعلون مرون وبأمره يفعلون They do what they're told. They're, they're innocent of sin. They can ask questions, but they are in complete obedience to Allah and they are creatures of light, which means they are pure. They are pure. Okay? As opposed to that, jinn are also creatures of the unseen, but they're made of smokeless fire. That Qur'an describes. مِن مَارِجٍ مِن نَار Surah Rahman will describe. وَخَلَقَ الْجَانَّةِ مِن مَارِجٍ مِن نَار They are creatures that among them there are Muslims. وَمِنَّا دُولَ ذَلِكَ And among them there are other than Muslims also. Uh, there are among those who follow, among the jinn, there are a huge many that follow shaitan. 
and they are considered his dhurriya, his offspring, his offshoot, and his following. They're all considered not just jinn, but also devils, shayateen. Uh, devils in, in Islam, in the Qur'an, there are two kinds of devils. There are human devils and jinn devils. Shayateen al-insi wal-jinn. Qur'an uses that specifically. There are devils among human beings, and there are devils among jinn. Devils among human beings does not mean ghost rider type, like he turns into flames. and That's not what that means. It means these people have lost all goodness. Their hearts are completely sealed, and they've given themselves completely to the will of shaitan. Those are devils among human beings. The same, the same creatures on the jinn side, that have the same kind ilk of people on the jinn side, that have submitted themselves to the will of shaitan, and handed themselves over to him, are the shayateen of the jinn. Okay? So that's, that's the Islamic view of these two. And they are separated from each other. Unfortunately, they're not separated in Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition went through a lot of changes. They were subdued by some pagan cultures in many different parts of their history. The Babylonians, the, which are the Iraqis, the ancient Iraqis, and, you know, overtook them. The Assyrians overtook them. You, you may know there are Iranian Jews and Indian Jews. So they lived subservient to other larger societies, many of them pagan. And a lot of their pagan ideas came into the, what was originally Islam and messed all kinds of things up. So they, even their story of creation got messed up to the point where Iblis was actually uh, an angel who rebelled against God and then convinced other angels to also rebel against God. And then those angels that rebelled, they are fallen angels, also called demons. So the jinn are actually originally angels. This is not Islam, this is their view. right? And now there's a war against the angels that stay with God and the angels that stay with with, with Iblis. This is actually the kind of mythology that is reinforced in movie after movie after movie in Hollywood. Right? Uh, and so you have, for example, e- even like The Matrix and stuff had a very very strong Christian overtone. Right? Uh, I forget the, the machine's name, but the, the guy who keeps replicating, he's Iblis. And he keeps on replicating, huh? Agents, Agent Smith or something, yeah. That's Iblis. He's just angry towards the human being, wants to destroy him, and they tried to portray the other side as almost Jesus-like figure, resurrection from the dead, and all of this stuff. That's just one example, but there's hundreds of examples of this kind of mythological angels versus demons battle that happens, right? Now, that's, if that wasn't bad enough, they actually use the word angels for both of them. Because to them, it's either still high up angels, holy angels, or fallen angels. So they'll actually use the word angels for good ones and bad ones. Now this creates a, all kinds of confusion. Okay, Then on top of this problem, they'll come along and say that there are angels who are, they, they, the Hebrew term is binai Elohim, children of God, sons of God. Now they don't mean literal sons of God, they mean like close to God. But these, some of these sons of God came on earth and had children with women and basically became of the flesh and now are living on the earth, and they are Nephilim, I think the name is, I'll, I'll go through it when we get into the, the description. And so there are angels that live, that used to be angels, but now they're human beings, and they're actually rejected angels, and they're devils in human form. So there's some kind of transformation happening, some mutation happening between used to be angel, and now is actually living human being. Those kinds of people live on the earth too. And if that wasn't bad enough, then there's the Book of Watchers story. Which I'll tell you the, 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 like the, my version of it. So instead of reading the text, because reading the text is painful. It's just painful. So I'll just tell you the version. They say that before the flood of Nuh, 
the earth was filled with evil. This is called the Book of Watchers. It's attributed to Enoch. It's actually a very pre, pre-biblical text. It, it's used by, still by some Jewish cults uh, and traditions. Mainstream Judaism, re, Judaism re, rejected it. Clearly, the Jews of Medina were using it because Quran comments on it. Okay? So this Book of Watchers is basically a story that there was lots of evil on the earth and there were some angels of God that said, we, we, we don't like this evil, we want to come down on the earth and judge people and bring justice, right? And so God says, fine, you can come. And they come and then God's, they say, well, we can't really judge people because we don't have temptations. Like we can't feel what they feel. Give us temptations. So God gives these angels what? Temptations. And the moment He gives them temptations, they start getting, they get, start getting seduced by women, drinking, uh, adultery, fornication, gambling, sport. Uh, they start worshipping idols. They do all kinds of bad stuff. These angels who came to the earth to fix the world become the worst of the worst. Then some woman realizes that these guys are angels. Her name is, interestingly enough, Isis. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> she comes to them and says, um, teach me, teach me this, the secret to ascend to the heavens. And they, they, she gets them drunk. Because they're angels, they can go back to heaven, right? So she teaches them the secret to go up into heaven. And they learn that secret. And, or she learns that secret and she uses it to ascend into heaven and turns into the star Venus. That was awesome. But now that they gave her the secret, they can't use that power anymore because it only works once, apparently. So they became stuck on the earth and they just keep looking at the sky and they became what's, what's called watchers. And that's why it's called the Book of Watchers. These are the angels who messed up and gave up the secret and now are living on the earth. And God, then God punishes them. This is not done yet. Then God punishes these angels by hanging them upside down inside a well in Babylon. In Babylon, in ancient Iraq. And they're hanging upside down in this well and people would come to them and say, hey, tell us some magical stuff. Tell us some spells we can do. Tell us how I can make that woman, that married woman, I want her to fall in love with me and leave her husband. Can you give me something to do? And they would tell them these spells. And that's how people learned magic and sorcery. And that's right. This, this is the Book of Watchers. It's a pretty epic story. It's a pretty, pretty like, drastic story. And as I, uh, you know, in, the, in the few minutes that I have, I'm going to read some comments from my own notes here. Um, superst- actually, Crone argues this, that humanity, this was a, a common belief among Judaism, that humanity is at the mercy of unfathomable forces of the universe, is also the key conviction behind late antique magic devoted to the control of such forces by manipulation of the angels. By the way, angels, jinn, did they even make a distinction? No, because fallen angels, jinn, that's, it was all one thing to them, in charge of them. So they've developed this idea that you can change your fate or make things better if you just tap into these right angels, fallen angels, and let them teach you some magic or whatever. They uh, additionally... Uh, the, the, the Bible comments on this. I'll read some biblical commentary for you. They worshipped idols, though the Lord had said, you shall not do this. The Lord wanted Israel and Judah through all his prophets and seers, turn from, saying, turn from your evil ways, observe my commands and decrees in accordance with the entire law that I commanded you, your ancestors to obey, and that I delivered to you through my servants and prophets, servants the prophets. But they would not listen and were, were as stiff-necked 
uh, as their ancestors who did not trust their Lord, their God. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statues he had warned them to keep. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them, do not do as they do. Now, imitating the nations around them is important because they started taking practices from the Babylonians, the Indians, the, 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 you know, the Iranians even, the Zoroasterians. They, they took a bunch of stuff from them. They forsook all the commands of their Lord God, Lord their God, and made for themselves two idols cast in the shape of calves and, and, an, uh, and an Asherah pole. At an Asherah pole. They bowed down to all the starry hosts and they worshipped Baal. Baal is also mentioned in the Quran. They sacrificed their sons and daughters in the fire. They practiced divination and sought omens and sold themselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing His angle. Now some phrases here I want you to remember. They sold themselves to evil. They sought divination and omens um, and aroused Allah's anger. These phrases that are going to come, these are deep inside the Bible, 2 Kings. Right, this is 12, I think 12 to 17. Or uh, chapter 17, 12 to 17. This phrasing is going to get echoed in the Qur'an. And Allah will remind them what they have in their book. And echo it in the Qur'an. But before we get to the Qur'an, you'll, you have to know that Jewish tradition from the very beginning was against magic. Because the greatest enemies of Musa were who? The magicians. وَأَلْقِ مَا فِي يَمِينِكْ تَلْقَفْ مَا صَنَعُوا you throw what you have in your hand. It's going to swallow whatever they came up with. Because whatever they came up with is the scheme of a magician. And a magician will not succeed wherever he goes. By the way, sihr in Arabic is also used for khud'a, deception. The word for magic is also used synonymously for what? Deception. Which is, I'm giving myself away here, but it's an indication that Allah doesn't teach it. Because Allah does not teach what? Deception. It's not a divine thing. Now, the biblical account is as follows. Before we get into, you have to understand this background a little bit before we really dive deep into the ayah. What happens is in the kingdom of Sulaiman salam, Allah gave him unique miracles. Allah gave him the ability to control even the jinn. And He gave him the ability to speak with birds and you know, horses, and he had, you know, mantiqat tayr, he, he could speak with the birds, and you have even in the account that he can hear the ants, you know. So you have this, these unusual abilities given to uh, Sulaiman salam, And he had control even over the jinn that follow shaitan. He had imprisoned them too, and forced them to do labor also. So he, Allah had given them this unusual ability that had never been given before him. People in the time of Sulaiman were not the best of Muslims. They were Muslims. Not the best of Muslims. So when they see Sulaiman with all this incredible, miraculous power, they think of it not as a divine miracle, they think of it as what? Magic. They think of it as magic. And if it's magic, then we can learn it too. Right? If he has all this power by learning magic, we should be able to learn magic too. So they went to sorcerers, shayateen, you know, wherever they could go to learn basically what he's got. The jinn took advantage of this, of course. The jinn through their human friends, the shayateen of the human beings said, yeah, I can teach you magic. Yeah, I know exactly what they do, he does. 
And I'll, I'll tell you what he does. And so they start teaching them magic and the occult practices develop. There's actually an entire cabal tradition of Judaism which is of black magic. It's centuries upon centuries old, right? What's crazy about it is a lot of their spells and their chants and their divinations and their omens that they make, whatever they do, when they do this stuff, they invoke the name of Sulaiman. Why? Because they're basically in one way or the other saying, give me the power that Sulaiman has. I want that power. So they, and they, they basically think that Sulaiman was the, the greatest of all magicians. And therefore, we want to have a piece of that action, essentially. Okay? So this practice continued for centuries upon centuries upon centuries in Judaism. And it's a tragedy of Judaism that it continued. Because, you know, why was it a problem? It was a problem for, number one, they thought they were learning it from angels. But they were actually learning it from who? From shayateen. They, they stopped figuring out how to draw the line between those two. So they couldn't even you know, understand that. The second was, because you're desperate to learn magic, you learn it, shayateen will take you to any... Shayateen's goal is not to teach you magic. Shayateen's goal is to get you away from the teachings of prophets. To get you away from guidance. So the shayateen take them to the cult practices of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the, sh- the shit that was being done by the Canaanites like the worship of the calf. And the, by the way, the worship of a cow is even found in what tradition? Hindu tradition, right? And so that gets reinforced over there. And they start taking some of their mythologies and mixing all of it in with their own. You know? And so... Uh, uh, I'll, sh- I'll share something with you just about the, the pagan version. This is the pagan version. Uh, it's, I think, found in Jewish uh, mythology, or not Jewish, in Persian mythology. A treatise called Isis, the prophetess and her, uh, uh, to, to her son Oris. I was telling you about Isis who seduced them. This is actually not even from Jewish accounts. She's the one who actually seduces them and gets them to teach them alchemy and medicine. And then uh, in Iranian magic, this is the crazy part. It is often noted that Harut and Marut resemble the names of Zoroasterian archangels uh, Harvatat and Amratat. That's actually from Iranian mythology, that they had these angels that teach magic. Quran uses, instead of Harvatat and Amratat, what does it use? Harut and Marut. Which is telling you that these names came from other mythologies. Now, I need you to at least know something about the, the fact that these, and by the way, even in Iraqi mythology, Babylonian mythology, it's, it's found. They invoke the names of, they use the name uh, Harvatat and Amratat, uh, and Artat and Amurtat, similar, similar pronunciations. They use them in Iraqi pagan traditions, Babylonian pagan traditions. This is important to note because the Jews lived under Babylonian rule, and they got influenced by it. You know, today you see an example of this, you have, in, for example, in Guyana, after the Second World War, uh, a lot of Indians were, uh, the British sent a lot of Indians to Guyana to fight on their behalf and to join the military, right? So these Indians included Sikhs, Muslims, and Hindus that are in Guyana. And they got cut off from the mainland, and a lot of them didn't know much religion, and they basically ended up kind of getting mixed in with each other. So you have Muslims that have Hindu practices, some of them, and Hindus that have some Muslim practices, like Hindus that go to gamble and take a frame Ayatul Kursi with them. For good luck. Like, it's crazy. But that's, that's, religions start getting mixed with each other, right? So that's what happened even in the Jewish tradition, right? So this is important to note before we get into this ayah, because this ayah is going to be a commentary on that entire history. And Allah in a single ayah will comment decisively on how to think about that entire mess that had already taken place 
Last comment about this. Actually, no. Let's leave that aside. How is this ayah connected to the previous subject? I'll, I'll deal with that inshallah when we come back after salah. So let's pray. Barakallahu li wa lakum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G.